You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Harrison Monarth, and he is executive coach, New York Times bestselling author. He focuses on leadership development, executive presence. I'm always interested in talking with folks that are in this executive space, helping leaders perform better, be more effective, have better presence. With that, Harrison, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. I'm excited to speak with you. So why don't we learn a little bit more about you and your background and how you got into the leadership development, executive presence present space. And then we can get into that subject. There's, there's a lot of questions I have, but let's learn about more about you first. Tell us about the background. How did you get into this? Sure. Yeah. I, um, let's see. So I'm originally from Germany and uh, I left Germany in my early 20s, uh, moved outside of the country, you know, not into the anything other than German speaking <laughs> Austria. So it was comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved to Vienna and uh, got a job as a marketing director. I was already fluent in English. I'd actually taught myself English when I was a teenager, just learning it. I loved the language, the sound of it. So I thought Americans were just the, the coolest, you know, people on the planet. So <laughs> I was fluent by the time I was 17, mm-hmm. and uh, just always had an interest in expanding on that. So left uh, left Germany, went to Austria, became a marketing director for a uh, commercial real estate network, and the president of that in Vienna was also a parliamentarian. So he was in the Viennese parliament. Mm, yeah. And so part of my time was was actually spent helping him, preparing him for his appearances, for his speeches. It was really just intuitive because yeah. he had to do a lot of it in English. And so he, he thought I would be good to help him. So he actually became very successful and gave me a lot of credit. So I just intuitively, I helped him you know, with his presence. Well, I didn't really know anything at the yeah. time. Was yeah. But so I really liked where this was going and, and how he really got lots of uh, lots of great attention. So anyway, I decided I'm going to study effective communication, everything from theater to psychology to, you know, really just became obsessed with learning how people can show up more effectively and more successfully. And so that over the years then turned into me basically becoming a, a coach, a trainer, a coach. And then in 1995, I had a chance then to come to the U.S. Uh, and uh, work with a couple of companies in Washington mm-hmm. uh, that you know eventually got uh, got settled. And uh, in 1999, then officially started my company, Guru Maker Executive Development, and wrote my first book uh, on effective speaking in 2006 uh, with McGraw Hill. Okay. That book did very well. And then I basically, over the years, the following years, more and more was was sort of asked to do executive coaching, where it was beyond communication skills, beyond speaking and presenting. It was really more about 
you know, how can uh, our leaders become more effective people managers and uh, get persuade people more effectively and influence people in a positive way. And then in 2009, I wrote the first edition of Executive Presence, the book. That really then launched me as an executive coach. And so the second edition just came out, you know, after 10 years, last month. And so I'm excited to, you know, to share that with people and to continue to help people become more successful at work. Yeah. Well, and it's a great topic because I think a lot of the challenges, you know, folks on this podcast, you know, that listen here are are really about that as the company grows, as I grow and scale my business, particularly a service-based business, you know, I really, I have to start working with people more, right? It's, e- it's easy when, you know, it's just me, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting in a corner and I don't really have to interact with folks much. But, you know, once I start to grow and scale the business, leadership really evolves from this kind of doing the work to managing people, leading people that are doing the work. And that's a hard transition, I think, for a lot of folks. And a lot of people struggle with it. Talk to us a little bit about when we use the word executive presence, like uh, let's unpack that a little bit. What are we referring to? How does this, you know, how does kind of leadership and management fit into this? And and what's your kind of model or how do you think about the whole sort of topic or or category of of executive presence? Yes. Good question. And, you know, it it is a bit of a sort of a foggy concept for a lot of people. In fact, uh, I I like to tell the story when I uh, came out with the first edition of the book in 2009, shortly after I got a call from a talent management executive at Merck Pharmaceuticals. And she said, we've identified a group of leaders that need to work on their executive presence, so we're interested in coaching. And then she paused and she said, but what is it? So right. they've identified so, the need, but they're not sure what it is. Exactly. Couldn't quite put the finger on it, knows it when when you know, know it when they see it, kind of a thing. And so it was very interesting to me. And so again, over the last, you know, ten years then, I've really done a lot of research and of course really figured out what are the components of executive presence. So for instance, my own appreciation of what, you know, what executive presence is was formed in several ways. Number one, years of conversations with uh, senior leaders I've worked with about what executive presence looks like and the qualities that they need to see in emerging leaders. Close observation of respected leaders that bring out the best in others. Then of course, the research and the social sciences, leadership literature. And then finally, also the failures of people that I've worked with and that I've seen who had talent and cognitive ability, but nonetheless, they, they failed or derailed because of an unwillingness to basically listen to feedback and adapt their behavior. So that was uh, how my appreciation was formed. But ultimately, Bruce, executive presence is about influence and impact, right? And it can certainly be about a negative influence, right? An intimidating influence. But the way I coach it and teach it just to help people become successful and then make their people and organization successful is I talk about a positive influence and a positive impact. And so, right, and there there yeah. are components. There are, I'll, I'll just give you a few of them. In my book, I identified 17 different components of executive presence, some of them being, you know, some of the obvious ones, like your physical appearance, mm-hmm. your communication ability, right, your ability to articulate messages in a clear, you know, convincing and appealing way, you know, just to tell a simple story that makes sense to people. Acting decisively, you know, projecting confidence, even your status and reputation have an impact, of course, on your executive presence. Being able to have difficult conversations, not shying away from that, or holding people accountable. Uh, Being, having political savvy, so not shying away from building relationships with with people that, um, you know, even above your own level, right? So. Um, those are all some components of executive presence. And, you know, as far as, you know, business leaders are concerned, whether you have a small business uh, with, with a handful of people or a much larger organization, 
the thing to, to realize is, I mean, anybody can stand to work on their executive presence or on their presence. But one thing to realize is that we all have a profile, right? So we're, it's not like we either have it or don't have it. <laughs> yeah. We have some things that we're, you know, decent at and other things that we need to work on. So that's something important to keep in mind. So when we are investigating, well, where do I need to work? You know, what are some of my you know weaker areas? That's important to keep in mind that you do have strengths as well. Yeah. It's also important to realize that executive presence can shift over time. In other words, if you say you are very confident when you're meeting uh, a new client or peers or colleagues and, and you're a good conversationalist and yeah. great physical appearance, but then you get in front of a higher stakes audience, maybe you're giving a talk, right, to to uh, government officials or even more senior level executives, all of a sudden you start stammering, you get nervous, anxious, right? Your executive presence goes right out the window. Yeah. So it's being aware of, you know, what those things are, what those situations are, which means having, developing your self-awareness and managing your emotions in those situations. And so in my book, I also talk about, you know, I have an entire chapter on how to manage, regulate your emotions. There are five different neuroscience-backed ways to do that. And, uh, you know, frankly, any business owner, any leader, if you can't keep it together in in tough yeah. situations, then forget about your presence. I mean, you're, you're just not going to be very successful. Yeah, your effectiveness. Yeah, exactly. Just become, if you can't think clearly, right, all those yeah. things. Yeah, I'm curious. The the idea that sort of context ends up having a big impact. I, I certainly see that a lot. I know folks who are, you know, just top of their game when it's, you know, a subject matter and a situation or a context that they're familiar with, they've been in before, they're comfortable, but you switch context on them and they're completely different. I mean, I, you know, all the skills they've have in one area just disappear <laughs> when, they, when yeah. they switch context. I guess how much have you seen or, or what have you found as being kind of the, the context influencers that end up changing or impacting people's ability to have executive presence or be successful or be impactful in terms of their ability to be an executive? Well, it has a huge impact, the context, you know, so the, the one I just gave, for instance, you know, being among peers, you can be, uh, you can, you can have all the confidence in the world, be really, you know, really elegant in your interactions. And then all of a sudden, higher level executives, you, you become uh, just, you're completely reduced in your effectiveness and in your communication ability and all that stuff, you know. But what's interesting too, what you just brought up about the context. So some of the leaders that I work with, Let's say they are typically they're from the director level to the CEO level, right, or general manager level. And one, one thing that's interesting is when people shift or they they move into a different position, right? So let's say they were, you know, they're an expert in a particular function, and now they're moved to a different function, let's say, where they they need to now learn completely new things, and they have a team working for them that is very competent in that domain or in those areas, right? So these are people now leading a team of experts that know a heck of a lot more about yeah. subject matter than they do. And so, you know, some of the questions I get sometimes and what I'm seeing is that leaders are often uncomfortable admitting that they know less or that they feel that they need to show the strength and the, you know, the confidence and the, yeah, and the competence to lead this team. And, and quite the opposite is actually necessary where, because listen, an expert can immediately sniff out whether you know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. It looks like you are trying to posture or pretend, then you're really losing the respect of people. Then they feel like, oh my gosh, it's one of those. Uh -huh. But if you actually say to people, if you have the humility and 
and, and, and foresight to say, look, you guys are a lot smarter than I am when it comes to this. You know, I mean, obviously there's a reason why I'm here, but I need to learn from you, right? I'm going to listen to you. I want to hear from you. I need to get up to speed. So tell me what you know. Tell me what you think. How should I be looking at things? And then you can still make up your own mind. So yeah, you have to obviously learn and you have to learn fast, but have the humility too, so that you can be and be comfortable with that. Be confident in that, in your ability to grow and learn rather than trying to pretend and, and have this sort of Potemkin expertise, which, you know, everybody yeah. can just poke a hole through. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I see that come up a lot. I, I work with a lot of technology companies and kind of, you know, heavy science kind of background companies. And you get these founder CEOs who are brilliant programmers or data scientists or, you know, biologists, pharmacology things. And they move into these leadership positions and they, they very quickly become uncomfortable and actually can be quite dysfunctional when they start having to manage these other areas that they don't know about. And they're mm-hmm. so used to knowing more than everyone else that they don't have, you know, kind of the skills or capability or mindset to be able to effectively manage folks in a situation where they have to kind of trust or they don't know the the domain nearly as well as as these folks. I think it's a, it's yep. a huge learning transformation that, that these CEOs need to go through. What, what are some of the I don't know, kind of strategies or shifts that you see need to be made with executives when they move into a position where the people that they manage or they need to lead are are much smarter than they are around the topic and the and the thing that they're trying to manage. Yeah, I would say one of the things is just put your ego in check. Yeah, um, it's not about you know you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, I mean I'm not the first one to say this, but if you you are the smartest person in the room, you know it's not a very you know it's not a very dynamic room, right? Mm-hmm. So surround yourself with the smartest people. Pick people that are smarter than you, right? And then you know help them work together, collaborate, you know, be, show them that, you know, obviously as long as they understand the objective, they understand the vision of where, where you're going, the why of the work, you know, even more important now with, you know, millennials and newer generations, the purpose of the work, but yeah, then let them go, right? Let them go like, and, and support them as much as you can. And listen, they'll respect you for that. And then of course, again, you still cannot neglect just having Having, having some subject matter knowledge, you cannot be, it's not, it's not what you need to do to be as, you know, as much of an expert as everybody else, but you still have to be able to make decisions, which you can only do, right? When people bring you solutions and they, they make suggestions and proposals, yeah. you still need to be able to figure out, well, okay, well, let's see what's, which way should we go here? And you can only do that when you know a little bit about what's going on at least. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if you found, is there uh, one or, or is, I guess, is there is there one way to have or one good model for for having a good kind of executive presence or are there different types of kind of being a good executive or I guess, how much do you find that there is there's one ideal model and versus how much there are, you know, there sure. are different people with different styles and different yeah. makeups and you can be good in many different ways. You just need to figure out like what your great way is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. First of all, in order to understand where how much executive presence you have and what you need to work on, mm-hmm. it, it you have to have some self-awareness. Yeah. Right? You need to work on your self-awareness uh, because we know lots of people that are doing things and saying things that, that really just kind of betray the fact that they have no self-awareness. You, you, you know, you do a face slap and you go, holy cow, I can't believe they just said that or just did that. You know? <laughs> so very important. How do you develop your self-awareness? Because most of us are actually not very good at that, right? I mean, so many dismal statistics that, you know, 94% of college professors think they have above average teaching skills. And <laughs> those are smart people. So, right. And, and 44% of them are wrong, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ask anyone. Ask a full room of people. How good of a driver do you think you are? Do you think you're an above average driver? You know what? 80% of people statistically will raise their hand that they're an above average driver. So the difference between how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves, and how others see us, there's only a 30% overlap. So it means we absolutely have to work on self-awareness. How do we do that? Mm. There are different ways to do that. There is you know, practicing mindfulness. So there's lots of information out there on how to do that. You know, emptying your mind of, of distracting thoughts and, and clutter and just really being sort of in the moment yeah. and, and, and being focused you know, on, on what's happening around you. Then uh, obviously, you know, reflecting just kind of just thinking about what are your values? What are you what do you know you're good at and what do you know that based on what you like and what you're running away from, you know, what do you need to work on? And then the the one that absolutely has to happen is you have to get observer feedback, right? For the reason I said earlier. So whether it's a 360, you know, where you ask a group of people to tell you what, um, how you come across your reputation, mm-hmm. or you sit down with somebody, there's some people that you trust that are not necessarily your best friends, but people you trust and you can say, look, I'm working on myself, I'm trying to grow in this particular area, and uh, I'd love to know, how do I come across, you know, or what worked for me in this particular project and how could it have gone better? There's so many different ways to get get the data that you need in order to to see if you need to adjust. The one thing that you have to be very careful about is that you don't shut the person down because the moment you start defending or explaining and rationalizing why you did something when they when they give you feedback, you know, you're just basically cauterizing that feedback source. You're just completely cutting yourself off. They will never again tell you a thing that is helpful. So, you know, just take the feedback, clarify if you if you have to, mm-hmm. right? Clear, but then say thanks and, and exactly. move on. Yeah, I like it. I, I, I do a lot of work with executive teams and, and one of the things, so if everyone talks about well, how to get feedback and training people how to get feedback, one of the things I do is I focus, I, I train everyone on how to receive feedback. <laughs> That's typically where the problem is. And it, and it is exactly that. It's like, first of all, listen, you know, and make sure that you understand it. And we talk about clarifying questions, you know, what, what really is a clarifying question and then say thank you and then and then decide what to do with it later. You're, you're, exactly. You don't have to process it at that time, but, you know, making sure you understand what it is. Um, exactly. So in, in terms of, sort of evaluating yourself. How do you, so you, so you kind of get this feedback. What is the model or what is the list? I mean, I know you've got the the elements in your book. How do I go through and kind of evaluate myself in terms of executive presence? And then how do I figure out really what I should work on? Is it just, you know, finding your weakest one and, and figure out how to improve that? Or how do you suggest people go through and, and develop some focus and some goals and some targets for themselves? Uh, Bruce, this is really a, a very good question because you could absolutely you could we all have a bunch of stuff we could be working on right so <laughs> what to work on and picking yeah. that so you're right and some people might say well so I'm not really good at this or, or that and so I'll pick this and, and start a program here but is that really the right thing to work on so the, the answer to it is we talked about self-awareness earlier getting self-awareness so the key is to develop strategic self-awareness and what strategic self-awareness is all about is it's comparative so in other words you know, Interesting. Uh, yeah. people basically that's perfectly encapsulated, by the way, in the, in the statement, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. So in other words, it's not always how, you know, about how good you are, but how good you need to be in the context that you want to compete in. So in other words, strategic self-awareness, what are your strengths and weaknesses compared to your peers, compared to your rivals, compared to the standards that are, you know, are being used to measure success and leadership. So Robert Hogan, the, um, the, the founder of 
Hogan Assessments, mm-hmm. uses an interesting example. You know, he says, so you might be a, an absolute champion in high school soccer, right? But then at the college level, you might still be pretty good, but you're no longer a standout. And at the Premier League, you won't even get a tryout. You're not even good enough at a tryout. So really, you have to measure yourself against the, 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 the standards, you know, or the rivals or the competitors or the peers against whom you could compete. Because in those, you know, in the higher up you go, yeah. obviously, you know, what skills, what behaviors, what knowledge do you need to need to have to play well? Basically, IQ and subject matter expertise are just no longer enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, I think it, 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 that idea of the context, like where you want to perform. And I, w- I always use this example of, you know, if you, if you want to be a, a marathon runner or you want to be able to squat 500 pounds, I mean, that where you would focus and your, you know, the performance goals that you would set and the activities that you would, you know, work on are, are really different. So, you know, exactly. it kind of depends on where you want to be and what, how you want to perform. That's exactly right. I mean, a boxer, a, a championship boxer, you know, trains differently and works on different skills uh, than a mixed martial arts uh, fighter, yeah. let's say. I mean, absolutely. So that's strategic self-awareness. And so that, you know, so instead of just having an inner focus, just really looking around and saying, how good do I need to be here? Yeah. Um, and then what? Yeah, so. So, so once I kind of figure out, uh, you know, I know where my, my current performance is, identify some goals based on context and, and the level that I want to perform at. What are some of the strategies, tools, techniques that you find effective to help executives actually learn those skills, develop those capabilities, become proficient and successful in those areas? How do, how do they go about sure. doing that? So it, it, it really depends on the particular area. So if it's a matter of, for instance, um, just picking a couple of things in my, sure. in my line of work, so executives or leaders, managers that need to become more engaged in meetings, let's say. So I have leaders that are you know, very intelligent. They are, so might be a head of R&D or the, the you know, a functional leader, but they're just not engaged in meetings, not because they don't have anything to say, but they've just made the choice basically to say, in fact, I've heard it more than once, one of my clients saying, well, you know what, Harrison, there's just people are just talking a lot in these meetings, but they're not really saying anything. So I don't really want to contribute to the noise. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening, though, is you're creating a perception that you're disengaged, that you really that, yeah, you're not willing to take leadership here. And so, the, you know, and if they're already saying what you're saying, you know, you know what my advice is? Say it first. You know, first want to speak up, raise your hand, engage so that, you know, there's plenty of research out there that shows obviously that people are more confident and more leader like people that speak up, right, and engage. But there's more recent research from the Haas School of Business in, uh, in at Berkeley mm-hmm. that found that not only are those people that speak up are, are not only are they seen as more confident, they're also seen as more competent. And they did various tests and studies to identify that people that are watching someone speak up and engage and make themselves heard uh, are just automatically seen as more competent, as harder working, more conscientious, more creative, even when they actually aren't. When some of the answers they give aren't quite right or they aren't quite the quickest ones to jump through. But because they are more engaged, they automatically, there's something happening in the, the subconscious level where we just, well, they are more leader-like. So you really have nothing to lose to, in fact, everything to gain by just being more engaged, whether that's, you know, obviously with your body language, you know, and so you ask, hey, how, so how do you develop this? Mm-hmm. In some cases, Bruce, I've actually, we've made it so that the client has a quota. So in your third, I love it. you speak up at least three times. That's it. That's your quota. So three things, obviously you're not going to make, Hey, you know, what time is lunch? One of those things, right? But you're going to contribute something of value to the conversation. 
at the minimum of three three times. So I've had it happen where when a client did that a month later, you know, I speak to the boss and the boss says, oh my gosh, I don't know what you did, but uh, much more engaged, willing to defend uh, his ideas, stands up to, uh, you know, is willing to have a debate, all that stuff. And, and I'm thinking all it took was a pink little sticky note on his notepad, uh, on his iPad yeah. that said, you know, where he basically three times. And, uh, you know, obviously this suggests that people have access to those behaviors, right? There are other things like, you know, managing your, regulate your emotion, regulating emotions and, and managing up, right? So there you have to go a little deeper in terms of, or, or networking is another one, yeah. you know, building relationships. Obviously that's not necessarily super easy, as, as easy as having a quota where you, you know, speak up at a meeting. There could be some, you know, deeper seated issues like, uh, you know, introverts aren't necessarily very comfortable reaching out to people and, uh, yeah. and building those relationships, you know? So, and uh, so there you need to find different strategies and you need to find ways to reframe something like that, where it goes from basically instead of saying, oh, my God, I have to sell myself and I feel like I'm, you know, I'm just I'm begging yeah. for admission and all that stuff. You know, you really have to kind of one, one strategy is to reframe that and basically say, look, how can I can provide value to other people? How can I share something that might be useful for someone else or even be a connector and yeah. connect people that I find? And by just reframing that, all of a sudden you just feel less. Francesca Gino found uh, from Harvard Business School, she found that people actually feel dirty. They crave soap. <laughs> When they think about networking, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, literally, they, they crave. Oh, that's funny. I got to take a shower afterwards. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when they think about networking, those that don't like it. And so by reframing the whole thing in terms of, you know, here's what uh, here's here's what this is all about. And and uh, I'm looking at it as I'm helping and I have some knowledge to share. Maybe I can connect a couple of people that would it would change their lives. All of a sudden, it just becomes a little less. Yeah, a little less you know, difficult. I think that's interesting because it's, um, I think it touches on this idea of, you know, everyone has sort of a different wiring or a different makeup or different tendencies, you know, different strengths and weaknesses, which means that, you know, how they perform or, or where the challenge they run into and in, in, in different skills or different capabilities, you know, it's going to be quite different. I, and actually I, I resonate with the introvert one. I, I test off the charts introvert. And so the networking is fascinating for me where I've had to yeah, reframe it, kind of reposition it in my mind as being about connecting and, and being about curious about the person. So I'm my thing is is this kind of uh, interviewer kind of style where I'm I'm there to find out about them, and I can that drives my engagement on it because I'm just not a natural you know, I'm not a high E uh, person, so it, it doesn't come naturally to me, but I've had to do it and I've, and I've been quite successful at it, but it is a different frame. It is a different frame. I'm actually in the same, in the same category. I had to act, I had to start, and I had this cultural conditioning too, you know, because Germans yeah. are, are not, Americans in general are just more outgoing, a little bit more extroverted, a little bit more friendly. Yeah. And so I had sort of the cultural conditioning of being a bit more reserved and, and not as outgoing. So while I'm an introvert, a natural introvert, I know that in order to be effective, I have to behave as an extrovert. And so after behaving as an extrovert, after some time in various situations, is it super comfortable? No, I can't say it's something I naturally would do, but there's still, it's, it's a lot easier. You do it automatically, yeah. right? You then do it automatically when you have to, when the situation calls for it. Yeah. Well, and, and you have a strategy. You don't, I think the thing is you don't have to think about it. You kind of reduce this cognitive load of, you know, you, you don't, you, it doesn't, you, you've got a system that you can rely upon to allow you to effectively perform the way you need to perform without it being this huge burden and stress on you. Exactly. Yeah. I'm curious, you were, you were talking about the feedback and I like the strategies of 
giving people the task, you know, you have to do this at least three times during the meeting. One of my favorite things to do is to put someone in charge when I'm dealing with a team is putting someone in charge of like recording how many times people ask a question or how many times people interrupt. And they, you know, we go through the meeting and then someone presents. I say, okay, well, you know, you were interrupted 16 times, you interrupted two, you know, and just collecting the data and just putting that on the table is sometimes all you need to do <laughs> yeah. to change behavior. And people are like, oh, really? I, I didn't realize that. You know? well, and that's exactly right. And so in, actually, I'll talk about speaking of changing behavior when you see the data. Yeah. I In the book, I talk about how, we talk about self-awareness, how ER doctors don't think they're over-prescribing opioids, but when they see the actual data, they're shocked. And so by, by presenting ER doctors across the country with the data about over-prescribing, they drastically changed their behavior. But that was the only thing. Otherwise, they would have not done it. So yep. they had to really see it. And so you're right. By just sometimes holding up a mirror and saying, well, here's the evidence. So, you know, what do you think you ought to do? Or what do you think you want to do here? Right? Yeah. I'm curious if you've had, I've done this a couple of times where we record sessions, video record. And I picked this up just uh, coming out of sports and I was a competitive cross-country skier and stuff. And I always learned that, you know, the coach can tell me 15 times that I'm not getting my weight over my ski. And I, I just, I don't understand until they show me the video. I'm like, oh, I get what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> if you had any success with, you know, actually uh, video or, or recording things so that they can, or, or audio, just giving p- people their own audio recordings to kind of hear, so they can hear it for themselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, depending on, especially when I, when we do presentation skills coaching and, yeah. and there are certain habits, you know, whether it's, gosh, simple stuff like, you know, wandering around without aim or without purpose, you know, yeah. in front of the group or doing certain things. It does help, right, to just kind of see see what it is that you're doing. I mean, so whatever, however that feedback comes to you and you have as a coach, right, you have to figure out what works for the person. Not everything works the same way for everyone. You know? yeah. So, yep. yeah. Perfect. Harrison, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out about, more about you, about the coaching work you do, about the books that you've written, uh, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, thanks. So my the new book is out, so I'd love for people to check that out. The book is called Executive Presence, The Art of Commanding Respect Like a CEO. So that's on Amazon. Also just came out as an audiobook on Audible. And then, you know, Guru Maker is the company. So G-U-R-U-M-A-K-E-R, gurumaker.com. It's Guru Maker Executive Development. And if people are interested in, in just kind of seeing what their own level of executive presence is right now. My colleague, uh, Dr. Heather Walker, and I have created a self-assessment, the free 15-minute, 15, 20-minute uh, self-assessment that gives you gives you a really good overview of where where you might need to work on your executive presence. And basically, that's the uh, the URL for that is executivepresenceindicator.com. So executivepresenceindicator.com, free assessment. You get the results right away. And a lot of people have said it's helped them a lot to kind of zero in on some of those areas they need to work on. That's perfect. I'll make sure that the links to all of those are in the show notes here. Uh, and Harrison, you're based in New York City. Where do you do work? Well, what's your when you work with clients? Uh, what's your geographic kind of focus or, or so? We work globally. Uh, so basically, I just last week, uh, a few days ago, I came back from Brazil. I was in Malaysia uh, a few weeks before that, and uh, so we work globally. Ninety nine percent, as you know, of, of coaching is of course done virtually by phone and by 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 video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but um, you know in the city we also meet with people face to face and then of course we do lots of workshops so that's why so so executive presence workshops for groups in-house and uh, that's so we travel to where they are where the client is perfect Harrison this has been a pleasure thank you so much for taking the time great content I'm sure everyone here learned a lot hopefully they feel a little challenged (laughs) they they, they find some goals some targets to set but I really appreciate you taking the time today thank you it was fun thank you so much 
You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.